spring is finally here. Thank God. And with that comes the start of another long baseball season. On today's episode, Cleveland Indians reporter Andre Knott joins me to discuss how he balances covering the team for 162 games, 81 at home, 81 on the road. He's traveling for the team every game. He joins me to talk about how he balances covering the team while still prioritizing his role as a husband and father. I'm Jamar Hudson, and this is Fatherhood. Welcome to the Fatherhood Podcast. I'm your host, Jamar Hudson, and you're in the fatherhood. As a new member of the hood, my goal is to use this podcast as a platform to talk about my journey as a new father. Part therapeutic, part informative, part educational. My goal is to talk about everything, from adjusting to getting no sleep, to changing diapers, to just hoping I get everything right. This podcast will be a space to share with you the joys, challenges, and fears of being a first-time father. Today, we're about a week into the season. Um, what have you seen so far, and who looks good? Who surprised you, and who's kind of getting off to to a rough start? Oh man, baseball's a funny sport because I think in all of us, we we're we're in the instant gratification of life. Whether it be you know put something in the microwave, boom, you know have a remote control, and suddenly you can change the channel. Or I've got eighteen million different radio stations when I get in my car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and baseball is one of those that you can't react. Uh, right away. It's funny because on our broadcast just yesterday, uh, we were talking about just in the, as a whole, you know, we're talking about how the Cubs have struggled, the Yankees have struggled, the brand, the brand names. They're all like they're, they haven't come out real strong. Uh, and the Indians were looked at as a team because they didn't spend a lot of money in the offseason and they cut payroll after. And, and then their best player, uh, one of the best players in the, in the world, Francisco Lindor, hasn't played yet. I got to tell you where I live uh, and where we are mm-hmm. at. Uh, the Indians aren't the, the number one story right now. Everybody's dogging them, and, and, and they've started out okay. Um, but I think it's interesting because I think baseball is in a – I think baseball is trying to find its identity right now. There's a lot of strikeouts. Everybody's trying to hit home runs. So the Indians have started out well, uh, but they have, haven't played the prettiest brand of baseball. Been a lot of strikeouts. They, their pitching staff has lived up uh, to what everyone thought. But it, it's been different, and it's been a lot of cold weather. And um, I'm not built for the cold weather. <laughs> <laughs> but it's but it's been a part of the beginning of the season. In in April, you just never know. Cause you can you start off start off hot and then you just cool off by June, July. You're in the middle of the pack and you can start off slow and then next thing you know, you're you're getting hot towards the summer. Um, so it, it's just up and down. Andre Knott is joining me on the Fatherhood Podcast today. I'm happy to have him. Before we jump uh, too too deep into our conversation, Andre, just tell our little listeners a little bit about yourself. Uh, I'm a kid that grew up in Akron, Ohio. Um, I went to St. Vincent, St. Mary before LeBron James, played <laughs> football, played baseball, was all Ohio in both of those sports. Um, I got a father that's from down south from Alabama, came up uh, in the rubber industry. Um, he moved up north like many of many families did. Uh, I got a lot, I, a lot of families moved from the south to, you know, the Ohio area, the Detroit area. Because of the car industry, because mm-hmm. of the rubber industry, uh, and not, that's part of my family. So my father did that. My mother was already living here in Akron. Her parents were from Meridian, Mississippi, and Alabama. They had moved up for the same reason. Um, so I'm this kid that's got all these ties to the South, but our, my parents are from Akron, Ohio. Went to Kent State University, played a little ball for a minute, got hurt. I saw how other people were doing college, and um, the bell went off in my head at 19 years old. Um, I wasn't going to make it in pros, so I knew I wanted to be around sports. And um, I've just been blessed, man, to be completely honest. I've been very blessed 
um, because I've had good people around me. I've had good people push me. Um, and before I was even really done with school, I was working in local sports radio. Um, and the story I always like telling people when they have me go back and talk to classes about it now is when I was a junior in college, you know, they went around the, the classroom and asking, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And we've all had those conversations. We've all seen the, you know, we've seen the, uh, the after school specials where you got to stand up, you know, whether it's fifth grade, eighth grade or being a you know junior in college. And I said, I want to do, you know, basically at the time, and this is probably 1994, nah, this is probably 99, 1999. I want to be Stephen A. Smith. He wasn't a, he wasn't mm-hmm. Stephen A. Smith yet, but I said, I want to do radio. I want to do TV. And not only did my classmates chuckle, <laughs> but my professor kind of chuckled at me and, it was the best thing that could ever happen to me because it hurt my feelings. Um, and But it brought out the drive that I that I had always had from sports. And I wanted to prove people wrong. Um, and from there, I went back through someone that used to write about me. Chris Broussard wrote about me in high school. He was at the Cleveland Plain Dealer and Akron Beacon Journal in my like around the mid 90s. So I went to people like Chris. There's a writer named Terry Pluto who's like a local big time mm-hmm. local, local columnist that just always has been around. Terry's been a good person to me. Uh, and I just reached out to them and was kind of like, lead me Brian Winhorse, who works for ESPN. I graduated high school college with him. Um, and, and not that any of those people, all those people helped direct me. Um, but I, as I tell everybody, you gotta be, it's not about luck. You gotta be prepared when the situation comes. And I had some of those people kind of reach out. I wanted to be a writer. I was intimidated. Um, I was to be completely honest. I was a tad intimidated. Uh, to write at a younger age because I always felt like people, you know, I didn't want to have the pronoun in the wrong place or the comma in the wrong place <laughs> because I thought that was how people, um, that's how people I thought judged your 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 intelligence. Uh, and somehow through different people that had covered me when I played sports in high school, they directed me to a local ESPN radio station. I got a job there before I got done with school and um, I just kept moving up the ranks slowly but surely, just always being prepared. I was a Brown sideline reporter for six years. Um, I saw some of the worst football of all time. <laughs> uh, and I learned how to be politically correct better than anyone else. Uh, lost that job. Joe Tate, the former um, the former play-by-play guy of the Cleveland Cavaliers, legend here in, in Northeast Ohio. Uh, I had worked around him because I, I used to do – like. and here's my thing on my grind. Like I literally – I try. I did the music for the Cleveland Cavaliers for five seasons. LeBron's like first three, their first four seasons, and I only took the job so I could sit behind the play-by-play guy that did the radio for the Cleveland Cavaliers, Joe Tate. I got the job through the engineer, and this is no joke. Um, so Joe Tate was this guy. When you grew, grew up in Northeast Ohio, like I did, he, his 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 uh, his call, his big saying was "Wham!" with the right hand, or, you know, and like that was a big deal. Brad Doherty would do it. I'm aging myself. I apologize. <laughs> Hot Rod Williams, guys like that, Mark Price, and Joe Tate. He's a legend in Northeast Ohio. So I had this opportunity to someone. One of my boys came to me and was like, "Hey, man, this job is opening up. The Cavs are going to, you know, start playing the sound effects and music during games. Would you be interested?" And I was like, "Well, I've never did it before, but I go, I'll take the interview." And the dude told me he was like, "Don't tell him you never did it before. Just tell him yes, and you'll figure it out." Well, yo, the first time I did a game was a <laughs> it was nineteen thousand, and I'd never hit the buttons, and I was I was freaking out. But Joe Tate was the reason I wanted to be there because I wanted to see how he did play by play. I wanted to be close to him. Um, and he walked in and he told me he was like, nobody likes the job you have to do. Stay out of the way. And it like, but in the end, he ended up being someone that helped push me because the engineer said, "Hey, man, this kid is 
he's doing radio, he's doing television, he's trying to come up. And Joe Tate goes, I don't even listen to that stuff. And literally six and a half months later, he walked into a Cavs game. We we're getting ready to play the Celtics. And when nobody was looking, he was like, hey, man, you're a really talented kid. Keep pushing. Don't let anybody change the direction you're going in. And uh, that meant the world to me. And, you know, at 41 years old now, I've been the Indians in-game reporter, sideline reporter on television for the last six seasons. Um, so that's a quick but long background on who I am. No, man. And as a Cleveland guy or a quote unquote Northeast Ohio guy <laughs> that you guys like to use, um, you've seen some ups and downs. Man. But thank you <laughs> for looking up for, for, for the Browns and, you know, the Cavs obviously have had the success um, with LeBron there, uh, both both tenures there. And, you know, the Indians have been doing well the last couple of years under Terra Francona. So you, you've, you've seen ups and downs, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've uh, I really have. And the Northeast Ohio thing is funny. And like, and I, I, I would, I'm gonna ask you. I think most towns have that. When I went to Kent State, like I remember, like dudes from Cleveland, be like, "Oh, you an Akron dude," and I'd be like, "Oh, you're a Cleveland dude." And like, and it was like, and it was like we had respect for each other. But you know how young dudes are territorial, yeah. and like, I got love for Cleveland, I got love for Akron, the Youngstown area. But it is funny because even to this day, you know, if people don't want to like, I didn't grow up in Cleveland. I grew up in Akron. Yeah. Um, but yes, I have seen a lot of stuff. It's been really cool, man, to see, uh, to be in my native land. Because the other thing I was told in college was if you want to be on TV and radio, you're going to have to go to North Dakota, mm-hmm. Iowa. And they were like, and the, and the dude that told me was like, no black man wants to live in Idaho. And he was right. Yeah. He wasn't lying. But I would have done that if I had to. And I've never had to leave, man. And it's been a blessing, like, Never before, knock on wood. I hope I never do. Um, but if I, you know, I'm, my, my options are open. I, I have a family now, so it would be harder to do it. But the the cool thing about Northeast Ohio, and I think a lot of places are like this, and I don't, I don't want to belittle anyone else, but um, it's very family like, it's very family oriented. People take care of each other, people stand up for each other. So in seeing the Cavs, I hate, I did the music for the Cavs when they won 17 games a year before they got LeBron. I watched Darius Miles, no offense, D Miles is my dude, my dog, everything else, Ricky Davis. On Media Day that year, they were on the cover of the Cavs Media Guide, and Media Day started at 10 a.m., and they and my boys didn't roll in until 2 p.m. That was normal Cleveland, <laughs> Cleveland sports back then. And then the next year, you get LeBron James, and, and the whole world changed, basically, in, in so many ways. Um, the Browns, uh, you know, I've, I've watched the excitement of them coming back in 1999, to be in complete disappointment until really the last eight months. I mean, I was on the sideline in 2007 when they won 10 games uh, and still didn't get in the playoffs because of the, the Indianapolis Colts didn't play Peyton Manning on the last game of the season against Tennessee. And Tennessee ended up winning. They were going against a backup quarterback, and the Colts didn't even try to win. And I remember I'm trying to do this special report, and I'm at, I, I won't say the player's name. Yeah, because he's in, he's got his own issues nowadays, so I don't want to get, make me run into deeper something like that. But I was at this player's house to do this big interview about the Browns finally making the playoffs, and it was a great microcosm of what the Browns have been since they came back in '99. Uh, the best season they had, the opportunity they had to go to the playoffs, and they don't get in because the you know because the team in Indianapolis doesn't play their starting quarterback on the last game of the season. Um, so it's been cool to see the excitement, and it's been cool to see people in the streets, people. Um, the exciting, you know, the, the most exciting thing before the Cavs won the, the won the championship in '16 uh, was probably when the lottery hit and LeBron hit. Like I've never seen people cry. I saw old white men, black men, kids, wives, just people just falling in each other's arms, um, like they won something. And I feel like we're more cynical now because they won a championship. Um, and it's maybe, and maybe this is just me getting older. 
but you just I just see more cynics than people that are just are appreciative of what they what we've had over the last decade, baby. Yeah, yeah. Well, Dre, not only are you a, a accomplished sports journalist, um in your hometown, which is which is great, but you're also a family man. So so tell our listeners a little bit about, about your wife and kids. Um, great question because it's the biggest part of my life now. Um, my dad told me when I went to college, I got a great relationship with my father. And I think that'll play in a lot to my answer to this. My dad is truly my best friend. Um, we, we've been that way for my parents uh, got divorced, but they still stay tight. I mean, if you were around my family growing up, you didn't know. Um, I got a couple sisters. But my dad and I just always stay tight. And when my dad dropped me off at of college, he made the one rule of, hey, man, be willing to give up the next four, five, six years of your life. If you're willing to give up the next four, five, six years of your life, you then can make any decision you want and you can go out and live. If you want to travel, if you want to, you know, whatever you want to do, just be willing to give up these next four or five years of your life to get to be able to take the next step in life. 18 <laughs> at 18, you don't take that in the way that you should. But it, it stuck in my head because I knew my dad wanted the best for me. And it wasn't one of those browbeating moments. It was him truly saying, be willing to give something up to gain something. And I ended up meeting my future wife when I was in college. Uh, when I was 21, she was 19. She she was an athlete, um, but very driven um, in her field. Um, she's white. I'm black. That was one of those things where my parents raised me. Um, and I'm very open about this. Like I, you know, I wasn't raised, I was, you know, every, I, I had the mom just like everybody else bring home somebody that can use my comb. <laughs> <laughs> I've had that. Like, it's yeah. the truth. And, you know, and I got aunts and uncles and I, like I said in the beginning, I got family from the South and, you know, the first time you bring a white girl home and, you know, it's like, Thanksgiving. It's like, can, does she eat this? Does this got too much salt on it? This guy, <laughs> this guy, like, and it's like, and it's, it's like a movie. It really is. And you take a step back. But um, I met somebody that that pushed me. Um, she pushed me not only. She just pushed me in ways I hadn't been pushed before. And she's become, and she's my best friend now. Um, we've been married now uh, nine years, coming up in this September. Uh, she owns her own business, working with kids with special needs. Um, she was hired right out of college, right. Before me, she's younger than me, but she got she got done with college before I did. Um, got hired at the Cleveland Clinic, which is a big big hospital here in Northeast Ohio, um, and grinded her way to owning her own business and working with kids and doing special doing stuff with kids with special needs. Um, and truly, uh, the best thing about our relationship is that we that, like the person that that I live with, my person that's my wife, is the person that's one of one of the biggest motivators in my life because of how motivated she is. Um, to achieve. And, and it's been a great relationship for us because of that. Now, in the job that we have, we now I have a six year old daughter and I have a four year old son. Um, family has become my, here. I can, this is this is one way I can put it. Not that we financially we're doing we're doing really well today. But when I had an opportunity to take the job I have now, my wife didn't want me to take it. We're talking about a 162-game uh, season, 81 at home, 81 on the road, and not to mention you know, studio time and other obligations you have as as uh, Indians uh, beat reporter. So just talk to me about how you balance um, that aspect of your job with being a father. Prayer. <laughs> Timing. Um, the, Indians, the Indians have been really good family-wise, to be honest with you. Uh, as I said, my wife didn't want me to originally take the job, but she knew it was kind of a dream job for me. Baseball something that I've always loved. Um, and you got to to do 162 baseball games. And that's that. And I didn't even talk about spring training mm-hmm. or if you make the playoffs, you got to love it. Man. Yeah. Cause I, and I, I, and I tell that to people all the time that it's like to cover something 
as intensive as that is. And, and with social media and everything else nowadays, and this is a whole other topic that I won't go too far on. Um, everybody's a critic. Everybody has a Twitter account. Yeah. Everybody has an Instagram account. Everybody thinks they got more information than you. Uh, you can't, you, you know, if the right ankle of it, like we hit today, I'll give you a perfect example. Indians pitcher Mike Clevenger is having a great game. He's got 10 strikeouts through five innings. And as soon as he doesn't, he's at 75 pitches, he doesn't come back out mm-hmm. for the sixth inning. And not only like my wife texts me, like I told my wife before, like I text her, like, I think something's wrong with Clev. And I text one of my boys, I think something's wrong with him. But then my phone blows up because it's like, well, Dre, you should know. You're right there. Why didn't you why report what's wrong with him? Um, and so it take, it's intense. But the thing about the Indians that have been really good in spring training, um, they help my family come to spring training with me for as much time as they can. That's going to get harder as my kids get older and are in school. Um, like a day like today, a home game, uh, my kid, my, my family, my father, my family, uh, my kids, they all came to the game today and we were able to have dinner afterwards. We just make the most of every opportunity that we have to do family stuff, Um, not to get too deep on anybody else. But I was always told when I got married, continue to date your wife and and, and date her. Like, so we've just had to do that even stronger. So when we got, you know, it was my birthday this week. So my family has gone out of the way, you know, even during this week of baseball. Um, Like yesterday, we had a four o'clock game and and we had family. They're like, we'll watch the kids. You guys go out to dinner. We did dinner, late night dinner, and then we do this. So we just try to make the most of the, of the moments that we have, the off days that we have. Um, but it's something that you can't neglect because um, I see a lot of families. You see a lot of people. It's easy to – I don't want to say easy, but it's easy to turn your back on it because you can get so – you can get into, into a groove of a baseball season, man, that no offense to family or friends, you can get caught in that lifestyle um, that you can kind of leave it behind. So my main thing is, is that we make every moment the best, whether it's me waking up after three hours of sleep and helping get my kids to preschool or get them to, you know, to, to school or whatever. Um, my wife stays on me to do that because, and then number one, I want to be a great father, but it's nice that I have a partner that pushes me to be a great father as well. So I think that's a big part of it. And covering baseball is a whole different animal in, in comparison to, say, um, football. Football, you guys leave on Saturday. You know, you're mm-hmm. in, you're in the uh, stadium. If you're on the road, you know, Saturday, right. Sunday, you're, you're back on the plane Monday morning coming home. Um, it's essentially a weekend trip. Um, yes. Those who don't understand baseball, you can be on the road for weeks at a time because you, you travel with the team. So how do you manage right. that dynamic when you're on the road, balancing that those those long road trips um, with with fatherhood. Yeah, um, the first year I did this, my kids are really young, and I'm not a morning person. Mm-hmm. I'll just and, and, and which helps me with baseball because most games are at seven o'clock, <laughs> and you end up eating late, you wake up late, and your and your schedule becomes that. And after our first year, my wife and I had some struggles, and I and 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 my kids and anybody that's got younger children. Um, man, you miss a week, you miss eight days of like a Mm three-year-old's life. You miss a lot, whether it's a couple words, whether it's, you know, whether it's, you know, being able to walk, crawl, any of those things. And I know at the end of my first season doing this, my my wife is very, anytime she meets another player's wife, anybody that's done our job, anyone that's done anything or, or any writers that have this situation, TV people, she will outright say to them, how did you guys make this work? How do you guys do stuff with your kids? And after the first year, it was a struggle for me. Um, and we talked to our pastor. We talked to, you know, talked to anybody we could, people that travel. And the number one thing that we do is that I know what time my kids get up every morning or I have an idea of when my kids get up, especially during the school year. 
I do my best, whether I'm on the West Coast, whether I'm in, my, you know, whatever time zone, we try to have, and I don't know how we would do it without FaceTime and things of that nature. I try to FaceTime my kids first thing in the morning, every morning, so they at least have that attachment to me. Um, you know, at least they get to start their day and they know where I'm at and they know if I'm in Chicago, they can, I, I'll, you know, I can FaceTime and show them the big buildings in Chicago. Mm-hmm. They like Chicago. Um, and, and, and for all the difficulties, difficulties of this, of travel and being a father and fatherhood, um, I've also let my children have also got to go places, um, but they're young, tender ages. They've traveled more of the United States yeah. than I ever did. And they have a feel for that. So we try to take advantage of that. They've gone to children's museums, you know, in Pittsburgh, Chicago, Arizona, you know, like, and it's not a Detroit, um, I bet we've been able to culture them in things that we probably couldn't have done without this job. But the main thing I would say to answer your question, and my, and like I said, it took us a year of doing this before, you know, my wife and I both realized there was a disconnect between all of us. Um, I, cause it killed me after my first year, my wife was kind of like, man, you know, she's like, I'm a single wife during baseball season. And that, that, that didn't feel good. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm just being, you know, like it was like crushing me. She's like, we live different lives. And, and, and still to this day, it, it is different, but we try our best. I try my best to connect with my kids first thing in the morning, no matter where I'm at. And I try to connect to them when they get out of school and you try to be, you try, even when it was during a game, if I can FaceTime for, you know, for two minutes to say good night, I try to connect in those three different ways with my kids um, just so they understand that dad is thinking about them, that dad wants to know about their day, that dad woke up thinking about them. And the cool thing about my wife, she knows I'm not a morning person. So if I wake up at 630, 7 to 30, talk to my kids, she knows I'm going right back to sleep. She just wants me to make this. She just wants me to make that effort. And, and, it, and you have to make the effort, whether you're there or not. And the other thing for me, and I'll say it quickly, we moved into a new neighborhood around that same time. And I was, I was, I was in my feelings a little bit of, of like, where, you know, how can I, how, am I doing the right thing? Am I, you know, am I being a good enough father? And it took me watching the rest of the neighborhood when I, am I, cause that's the thing in the off season, I, my kids get sick of me. <laughs> you know, I'm every, you know, I'm, I'm at everything. But when I saw other fathers, you know, when I saw their father, the father that leaves the house at 8 a.m. every morning and can't take his kids to the bus stop and you don't get home till 6 p.m. every day, Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday. Um, I realized as parents, if you're trying to if you're trying to push yourself in your career, um, you got to make sacrifices. So my sacrifice is different than yours and different from the man that lives next door to me. But it opened my eyes that all of us fathers and all of us mothers, if you have a career, um, and you want to you want to push your kids to the, and, and give them the best things in the world that you can. Um, you got to make the most of the times you have with them is what I've learned. So so if you're in Seattle, say Oakland, Anaheim, you're still getting up, making that FaceTime call every morning. Dog. <laughs> <laughs> There's been a couple of times, man. And, but, but my daughter's my daughter is old enough to kind of be like, what's wrong with you, dad? It's like, I'm tired. I, you know, and the West Coast is hard. And it's funny you say this. As we record, as we record this, when I get off, the, get done with this, I've got to pack my bags for a 10 day trip. And it starts wow. and we leave. To, I leave tomorrow. I go to Detroit for three days. And Detroit's a 30, a 15 minute flight from where we live, which is cool. And usually when the sea and that's the other thing, when school is out and because of my wife's owning her own business and being able to kind of kind of formulate her own schedule. Um, she has her brothers live in Chicago, so they'll come to me, come with me in Chicago or meet me in Chicago. They'll drive to Detroit, meet me in Detroit in the summer. Um, and that's the one thing about the Indians being in American League Central. Most of the teams are pretty drivable, pretty close. 
Um, you know, certain trips, my wife, our, our family will watch our kids and she'll make a trip with me. Um, we try to do little things like that to keep it as normal as possible. But to answer your question, yes, when I'm in Seattle in 10 days, in six days, I think, my wife and my kids expect me to wake up at 4.30 or just, or there have been a couple of times where I've stayed, just been up still <laughs> and then go to bed. Yes, it's, it's part of the deal. That's part of the deal in my household that I have to talk to them first thing in the morning, no matter what. So, so when did it click? You mentioned some of the challenge, uh, challenges you, you faced early on um, when you took on this this role. You know, when did it click, and you know what what did you guys do to finally figure out how to make this work when you're you know on the road so long and dealing trying to balance being a father at the same time? Um, number one, as I've told you earlier, just fatherhood is just it's it's. There's no questioning it to me. I, I know that I have to achieve and be great at that. I know the, the sacrifices my father made. And you just, you, I, when your kids are young and, and you can see it, like, not that I've ever like looked at my kids and be like, they don't even know me. It's never been that far. But there's, you know, there's times where you're like, damn, I'm, you know, like I did miss this or I did, you know, there's been a couple of times and like, and I, my wife and I were just talking about this. Like we just had just this past week, um, we had the father daughter dance and, I knew as soon as it came out, like I went to the schedule, I was like, God, please let me be home. Mm. And I had to miss a game. I had to miss a game. And like, and that's, and that, you know, we don't miss a lot of, you don't, like, and that's the other thing about this career. If you want anything to do with this career, you can't just miss games because your boys are in town or because, like, there's a lot of barbecues I missed. There's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of mixers that I like. There's a lot of stuff I'd like to do, but you just, it's just, and, it, you know, baseball's in the summer. And literally one of the first rules I was told on the team bus, I was with, and I was with all the old cranky and other announcers and writers. And they're like, there are no holidays in the summer when you cover baseball. Yeah. And I remember like, I remember like putting in my headphones, like, damn, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> I, I love the 4th of July. I love Memorial Day. Um, so just, you know, like, man, just uh, to me, you're not a real father if there's nights and I, I shouldn't say it like that, but to me, if there's not nights that you lay in bed and you roll over left and right, trying to figure out if you're doing it, doing the job right as a father, then you're, you're over, you're blessed man. And when you do it on the road, lonely in a bedroom and you're thinking, what the hell am I doing in Seattle on a Friday night? And all I can think about is my kids. And, you know, so I, I think the main thing is my wife and I just, we've, we've known each other for so long. We've had a lot of conversations um, and to go back to the main thing I said about our relationship, she pushes me to be a better man. So even there's times when I don't want to talk about it, um, and even in the end of no husband likes submitting this, even when I know she's right and I don't want to say she's right, um, I want to be a great father and, and I want to be a great husband. So there's there's times where you sacrifice and you make the most to do it. Dre, you, you talked a lot about your dad and our conversation so far. So I'm curious, what you know, influence did he have on you as as a father, and what type of things have you did you take from him um, once you found out you want to be a dad to, and you wanted to apply uh, to your life as a father? Wow, um, I saw the sacrifices my dad made. Um, my dad's not a perfect man. Uh, um, I mean, none of us are, but my dad, my dad is. I'll give an example. My dad was in is in the cars um, and drag race, but he always so worked. And I could I, I could grow I can remember growing up and, and seeing my dad work 60, 70 hours in a week, still come to my football game, then go drive a race car and literally like sleep like three hours or sleep on the way to do this or do that. Um, I would hear him. I would see how his other friends and uh, I, I was born in 78. So, I, you know, I, I, I want to say this the right way because I'm not trying to gl glamorize anything. My dad had friends that that 
that went to prison or passed away. Mm -hmm. Like, and, and, and because of it, and you know, he owned car washes and I like, and I would be in the back garage. I like my dad didn't hide nothing from me, but he protected me. Like he, and he, and he made his friends respect me and he, he made people respect that he was a father first. He was a family man first. He would, he would, he would change the motor in your car. He wouldn't care where your money came from, but don't bring the riffraff BS around me and my family. Um, and as I got older and we all know what peer pressure is like, I realized how strong a man he was and how upright he lived his life. And it's telling because he's the same man today as he was for me 20, 30 years ago. Um, but he just, he just taught me how to respect myself. My dad is a, is a man that grew up, grew up in Alabama. Um, he's a light skinned man like me. He's got brothers. He's got brothers that are darker than me, got brothers that are lighter than him. Uh, and my dad saw America through a different scope than what a lot of us are talking about racism. And a lot of us are talking about the craziness of, of how words are thrown out nowadays. My dad lived it um, and he kept it real with me. Um, they, he, he worked his ass off so I could go to the best schools in the world. Um, and, local, you know, I went to public school, but I went to good public schools and I went to, to a Catholic school in high school. Uh, and it was because my dad wanted me to get the best education he could. Um, and I think he never put that in my face, but I know I had other friends and other cousins and other family members um, that fathers didn't do that. So that stood out to me. Does that make sense? That stood out to me that I had that. I had that. And the thoughts that you're going through right now, man, you're going, it's the rest of our lives. Like it's the, like to me, like, you know, like I'm, I'm going through it right now because my four year old son, loving to death. Um, he's my guy. Um, he cracks me up, but man, when he gets pissed off, he can't control himself. Now he's four. <laughs> and like, and like my wife and my dad are like, man, that's you. <laughs> and like, and like literally I look in the mirror and I'm like, I can control myself. And then like, Evan is like, but I'm 41. Like I should be able to. So it's like, you try to tell yourself as a parent, you're like, all right, how do I break myself? You know, how do I break and How do you break that down to a four year old? Um, so that's like the hurdle that I'm trying to overcome. And then, then my thing for my dad is just um, I can sit around and drink a beer and watch a game with my dad today. And that's just as much fun for me as hanging out with my boys. Um, when the Cavs won, the, when the Cavs won the finals in 2016, it was on Father's Day. Um, and I and, and, and in Northeast Ohio, that was a big deal. That was, a, you know, we hadn't won a championship in so long. My dad's a Dallas Cowboys fan. I shouldn't tell you that because he went D.C. <laughs> he's, a Cowboy, he's only a Cowboys fan because he grew up down south. And down south where he grew up, they would only show the Cowboys. And so when he moved up to Northeast Ohio, he couldn't be a Browns fan because they had just fired uh, Paul Brown, who the team was named after. And he was like, how can I root for a team? They, they, they fired a coach the team is named after. So um, <laughs> the biggest thing that I remember about the, uh, you know, about the, about the championship, you know, thing being broken was that I was sitting on the couch with my dad um, and my wife when the Cavaliers won a championship. And, and, and for me, for my career, if you've heard anything, I've traveled so much and I've been around so many and I've covered so many things. Um, that was God's blessing to me to allow me to be together with my dad at that moment that a championship was finally won here. And even yeah. in that same year, the Indians went to the world series. Yeah. I, I was able to get my dad and my father-in-law, they were able to go to world series games at Wrigley field. They were able to go and, and like, and I got to turn it, man. I got to, I got to give a, a ticket to my dad to go to a World Series game. Um, baseball's a sport he loved. He got me into. I can remember when I was six years old. Uh, we didn't live in the best neighborhood, and my dad saw me and my cousin ripping and roaring and just doing stuff that you know kids do. And he grabbed a bat and a ball. And he took us to a field and was like, "I'm gonna teach y'all how to hit a baseball. I'm gonna teach y'all how to catch a ball." And it was a 
predominantly black neighborhood. Nobody had a batter ball. But my dad was like, y'all going to learn how. And I remember everybody laughing at us at first. And lo and behold, you know, 30 years plus, um, that moment still stands out to me. That's great, man. Andre Knott, uh, Cleveland Indians reporter, is joining me on the Fatherhood Podcast today. And Andre, as someone who has uh, devotes their life to covering sports and grew up playing sports and all the way to the collegiate level, um, what lessons have Seth Sports taught you that now, uh, as a father, you can apply to raising your kids? Um, Man, that's great. I think camaraderie, being a stand-up individual, being honest and upfront, um, Given and, and all these are cliches, but they're true, and you learn these in sports. And I, I, I try to get to both of my children that you don't have to. And I, this is hard because I'm I'm a competitor. You don't have to win, but you got to play right the right way in everything in life. You know, like you know. And I got I, my kids are at an age right now where they where they battle over everything. You know, like not that they, it's not you know it's just what kids do. And you just want them to realize that you know the come like the, because here's what. I miss most about playing sports is just the camaraderie of being in the locker room um, and, and winning with your boys or practice with your boys and having a free throw shooting contest or just silly stuff that really doesn't matter. And I think that goes back to being a father. It's the little things that we don't think that matter that really do matter. You know, like, you know, just, you know, doing something in the backyard, playing catch. You remember that more than the third game of the season in 1998, yeah. you know, like, like yeah. so I think those are the things, but just, given a fair amount of work and, and understanding that, you know, I think what's great about team sports and I, you know, I've tried to explain this to my kids is that in team sports, you may not be the star, but your team is only as strong as the weakest link. Very cliche, but I think in life that's very true. Um, so give a fair, give a fair amount of work to whatever job you have, because you're not going to be successful as a team if everyone doesn't do that. And I really try to get my kids and my kids are still young. And trust me, anybody listening to this podcast, I do not have everything figured out. I'm learning every second, just like everybody else. No, I'm with you, man. That's great. Shifting gears a little bit, Dre, you, you mentioned earlier that you are, you're an interracial marriage and, you know, race is such a polarizing, mm-hmm. you know, topic in today's age. You even mentioned, you know, <laughs> some, some, some things that your, your folks said to you back in the day. And I think if we're, if we're being honest, a lot of us have heard that. Um, so, so how has yes. having interracial children uh, affected your approach to fatherhood, if at all? Yo, <laughs> it's everything. Um, I don't want, you know, I want to say this the right way. I can't be blind to racism because racism is real. But in my household, love is real and love is blind in my household. Does that make sense? Like my my kids, are we haven't even got there, but I've told my wife oh, probably over 100 million times, um, our kids are going to deal with this. Yeah. They're gonna, they're, they're, it's going to happen. Like the people look at us. Like I had the wife when we were dating, like I'd be like, man, we're getting bad service because I'm black. And she'd be like, what? Mm-hmm. She's like, we just get maybe it's just a bad night. I'm like, no, nah, dog. This is how it works. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like, like we get the bad table because of this. These people are staring at us because of this. Um, we've been together so long and she's truly helped me um, get out of that. I don't want to say uh, get out of that bag of always of always having to protect myself because I'm black and because she's white. But as a parent and, and, and you try to work as hard as you can to, as I said, what my parents did, put me in the best schooling, the schools I could be put in. Um, to put them on the best teams you can put them on. Um, I know it's going to happen. Um, and so what I have to do is prepare my son and prepare my daughter 
that people will say things and do things and judge you because of how you look. Um, is it fair? Not at all, but it's real. And to go back to the base that I will use is my dad grew up in Alabama, him and his brother at 16, 17 years old to make extra money. They would go pick cotton on a cotton field and they picked it for a Ku Klux Klan member. Now I tell that story and the rule that they had is they got there like six, seven in the morning, had to be out by 2 p.m. They had to be out before it was dark because if it was dark, the Ku Klux Klan member that they worked for couldn't protect them. That's mm-hmm. the background of my father. And my father has gone on to own businesses and work up north or Midwest, whatever you want to call it. And so I'm never going to be blind to how racism works. And my dad's number one rule that I will try to teach my children. And the thing that he knows is that he appreciated life a lot more back then in the 60s and late 50s because you knew where you stood with people. And maybe he goes, now you can live next door to somebody and they can call you every name in the book and you don't know it. Now, obviously, with our president and things like that, people are feeling a little bit more free to throw things out there than they ever before. But I think it is very telling that maybe, you know, I'm not saying, and please don't anybody get me wrong on this. I'm not saying things were better, but it was better when you know Mm -hmm. where you stand with people. And I think with my kids, I want them to understand you are different. You're a blessed child and you have every ability to do anything in this world that you want to do. But that doesn't mean that everybody's going to like you for that reason. So how do you deal with assumptions um, that people make uh, about your kids and even the assumptions people may make about you and and take it a step further from your own community? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, that's, that was hard for me to be, to be completely honest. That was, that was hard for me for a long time. Um, because I realized I, I realized I was trying to make a bunch of people happy that didn't really matter. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like you, it's like, I was, I was killing my own happiness because I was worried about how people within my own community looked at my relationship. I can admit that. Um, and that took, and that took a lot of much, that took a lot of growth in trying to find happiness. And I think all of us go through, Trying to see, you know, like, I mean, as a guy, you grow up and you're like, everybody think they want to be a player. Everybody thinks, and it's like, and then the reality is you get like the middle of college. You're like, man, I'm lonely as hell. Like, I, 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 I like people. I want to be with somebody. Um, and then when you throw in color and, and all of that into it as well, um, you question yourself a lot, especially because it wasn't normal per se. Even my dad, my dad made a funny joke, like around Christmas or something. And I, and like, and I think my wife cringed, but I laughed because he was like, man, you see how many commercials got mixed, mixed families now? He goes, it's coming around, man. Like, and he was like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and I like chuckled. I'm like, that's really, and then I started seeing it. And I was like, dang, he's right. You know, there's, there's mad commercials now with, with mixed couples in it. Um, I think it just comes down to, you have to have, you got to have a belief in yourself and, and realize that you're trying to make yourself happy. I'm not trying to hurt anybody. I'm not trying to hurt my mother. I'm not trying to hurt you know my grandmother. Um, I just want a happy child. And I will tell my children the same thing. Uh, and as my boy, one of my boys told me, it was like, hey, you, you got to be happy for whoever your kid brings home. So you got to set them up to be successful in that situation as well, too. Um, so that's to be that's what I'm shooting for, man. I'm just shooting for any way that as I raise my children. I prepare them for any pitfall or any uh, pothole that they may fall into and try to get them to to understand that I went, I, my wife has always said to be a good parent, to be good people, we got to be honest with our kids and tell them that we went through certain things. And I know that's not a, not something that most people, nobody wants to tell their kids, Hey, I understand, you know, I got in trouble for this or I did this. Um, But I'm going to have to be honest with my kids about whomever they, they date most likely is they're not going to have the same, exact complexion or the same, you know, background that they have. 
um, that people are different and everybody doesn't always, you know, everybody doesn't always like that or respect that. But that doesn't mean you can't find happiness if you find out who you are first. Yeah, man. And to the point, man, there's going to come a time where you're going to have to discuss racism with your kids, especially your son. And this is a conversation that I'm going to have to have uh, as well. How do you plan on approaching that? You know, have you thought about that? Um, what, what do you think you're going to do? Hmm. Um, I don't know. I'm going to be yeah. real with you. I'm, I mean, I'm going to talk. I'm going to talk because, you know, I remember when I first got my driver's license at 16, my dad basically told me, hey, man, if you ever get pulled over, you keep your hands on the, on the mm-hmm. steering wheel. You say, yes, sir. You say, no, sir. You look them in the eye. And when they ask you to get your license and you ask you to get your your, your um, insurance, you tell the cop, the officer, exactly where you're going and how you're going. Now, remember, this is 1992, <laughs> you know, 91, 92, 93, where my dad's saying, you don't make a quick move. You tell them exactly where you're going and what you're doing. So when you go to get your registration, they don't think you're going for a gun. You tell a 16 year old that I'm just like, dad, just give me the keys. I'm good. And my dad's like, nah, you really, this is, this is real. Like, I don't want to lose you. So that conversation will be had with my son. Um, it's a lot. I mean, there's so many stories that you, that I'll have to, that I know I'm going to have to tell my son that, you know, all right, here's, here's one of my life that I, that I'm sure he'll go through that sticks with me. The high school I went to, um, obviously people know it now because of LeBron, mm-hmm. which is great, it's, you know, and it's wonderful. But it was a school that didn't have a lot of African-Americans, didn't have a lot of blacks in it. And if you were a black kid at St. Vincent, St. Mary, um, and Jerome Lane, hey, before LeBron, we had Jerome Lane, mm-hmm. Frank Stams, <laughs> like we had some other some, some other some ballers. All right. But when as a black kid that played football and play and, and scored touchdowns and this and that. Um, I got my feelings hurt real bad early on because I didn't realize that other peers, other kids in my school thought mm-hmm. I was only there to play sports. They thought I was just a broke kid from the hood. And at 16, 15, 16, 17 years old, I learned more about racism and more about how and, and, and how money rules the world in high school than I did in college. Because I didn't realize, man, I was being judged upon what I was doing on Friday nights. And nobody thought I was smart enough. Nobody thought I came from any money. Nobody thought, and like, not that it even matters. Cause it, but that's how I was treated. I was cast to the side because, oh, he's a yeah. black dude that just runs fast. And and that, so from, so I have to somehow corral those emotions and, and teach those to my son. Because if I knock on wood, if I can continue living right, I'm probably going to send my son to a school that there'll probably be people that look at him and think the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what fears, man, if any, do you have uh, of what your kids may face uh, in the world being offspring of, of interracial parents? Um, name calling people, putting them to this, casting them to the side uh, because of their family. Um, and, and, you know, never know how a kid is going to react to any of those mm-hmm. things and things happen. Like my wife always says this and, and, and I hate it, but I respect it. She's like, yeah, you went through a lot as a black kid. She goes, but all kids go, went through something, so, you know, short kids, tall kids, you know, bully, like everybody gets bullied. And I guess what the best thing I can do, because I'm afraid of all of it, man, to be honest with you, I'm afraid of, um, you know, like what if my son wants to date a white girl and a white, a white girl's family don't want nothing to do with them? Or what if he wants to date a black girl and the black, you know, I think about that because yeah. like, I, I've been through both of those. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, he, he goes to the good school. You don't want nothing to do with him or you don't want nothing to do with that black girl. Like I've had both of them. I've went through both sides of that. Um, 
I just want to be the for, there for them when they go through the toughest situations that may ever come about. And they're going to come. And, and I guess what I go back off of what my wife always says is no matter if my kids are interracial or whether my kids are, you know, six foot eight or four foot eight, they're going to deal with something. Your job is to prepare them to sustain and get through those situations. So it goes back to I got to have open conversations and keep it real with them at, at every stage. Now, you can't keep it too real, but you have to understand that the maturity and age level they're at. And try to be open and honest with them and say, I went through this. This is how some people think, but that doesn't mean you can't overcome it. Awesome, man. Last question for you, Dre, and I really appreciate you joining me on the Fatherhood Podcast, man. Great, great conversation. You, you just kicked off another season that's going to uh, take you on the road throughout the summer. You know, you're going to be in Tampa. You're going to be in, you know, in Arlington, Texas, Seattle, Oakland, all over the country. Um, but you, you've made a point to to stay in contact with your kids and, and be a present father, uh, even when you're on the road throughout the throughout this season. You know, what do you hope that your kids learn from you? Um, watching you effectively balance, you know, your, your priorities at work and at home. That they can do anything in this world that they want to do. That my daughter, if she wants to be the president of the world, if she wants to travel to Russia, that she can be anything in this world. That my son can be better than I was at anything and everything. I don't want them to do my job. I want them to own the television network, right? I want them to see that there's a whole world out there. I think that's another thing that a lot of black people, a lot, a lot of black folks do. And I, and I shouldn't say that because you know what? I know racism there. I think it's a money thing. I, and I keep, I've said this to you off the podcast, on the podcast, the one greatest thing in the world for me is being able to travel. The, not that I'm like this world traveler, but because of this job, I've been able to see so many different parts of the country. You mentioned all those different places. And I think sometimes we need to get out of our own box, you know, the own little shoe box that we grow in sometimes to understand how life really is. So I hope I'm giving my kids the opportunity. They know what Arizona is like and, and they know what, you know, trees are like in, in you know, in, in Arizona, you know, they, they know what, you know, how wide it's hot. They know what the desert looks like. They love Chicago because they love the big buildings in downtown Chicago. Uh, they love Texas because their aunt lives there. And, and you know, like, I just want to give them culture. I guess is the word that I'm looking for. I want them to have culture and I want them to realize that they can do anything and go anywhere in this country. Well, my man, I really appreciate you joining me on the Father Podcast. Before you go, just tell people how they can get in touch with you, especially my listeners uh, in Cleveland and Akron. If you're out there, tell people how they can find you, especially on your upcoming TV broadcast. Yes, you can uh, find me social media wise. I'm uh, at Draynot, D-R-E-K-N-O-T-T. Um, same on Instagram. You can listen to me on uh, news radio WTAM 1100 in Cleveland. It's a news station. It has the teams, has all the games on that station. Uh, during the baseball off season, I still do radio. I still do some radio shows um, as well because radio, AM radio, another thing we got to get more brothers into. I know in DC it is, but, um, and we're starting to see it a little bit nationally, but man, there are a lot of brothers that love AM sports radio and it's not enough guys that are willing to take the time to move up the chain to do it. And we have to do that. And I'm, and I won't give up radio. I love radio. Uh, so I do that. I also have a podcast called the A to Z podcast with a, with a, a brother that I used to, a, bro, a good buddy of mine that we both used to cover the Browns together. He still covers the Browns for the athletic. 
Um, we do a podcast still where it's just two dudes basically sitting at a bar stools. Basically, it, we try to make it two guys sitting at a bar stool, um, just talking sports, talking local sports. A lot of Browns talk, a lot of Indians talk, but we talk national things. He's a white dude. I'm a black dude. You should hear us when we go back and forth on black and white issues. But it's real conversation. And um, so I have fun doing that. And then you can see me on every Indians, uh, every Indians game uh, on Fox Sports Ohio or, or Sports Time Ohio. Um, I'm there every night getting messed with by Frankie Lindor and watching one of the best pitching staffs in baseball, one of the best pitching staffs been put together in the last 20, 30 years. They all say they're going to be the Atlanta Braves in the 90s, and they're pretty damn close to doing that. So those are all the ways you can find me. Thank you for letting me appear on this because for all the stuff I love in my, in my life, fatherhood is the most important thing in my life. Well, my man, thank you for joining me. I hope this season goes well for you, and at the end of the year, the Indians will have a, a successful run. Thanks for joining me on the Fatherhood Podcast. Appreciate it. If they have a successful run, I want my daughter a ride in a parade because when the Cavs, <laughs> this is a true story. When the Cavs won, I made my kids and family watch it at home because we had an Indians game that night and I didn't yeah. want to deal with traffic. My daughter will never let that live down. So Cleveland, y'all got to win a damn championship so I can get her on a float. <laughs> All right, my man. Thanks a lot. Take care, man. I want to thank my man, Andre Knott, for coming on the podcast today. And as always, thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, be sure to tell a friend about it. Share this episode and other episodes you may have listened to with other friends so we can continue to get the word out about the Fatherhood Podcast. As always, you can find the show on social media. I'm at the Fatherhood Podcast on Instagram. And on Facebook, you can like the Fatherhood Podcast page and continue the conversation there. And you can find my personal pages on Instagram and Twitter, both at Jamar Hudson. This podcast, you can find it on all major streaming platforms such as Spotify, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. And if you happen to be listening on Apple iTunes, be sure to drop a rating for the show. And if you're feeling extra friendly, just go ahead and write a short review. I'll be back next week. You guys take care. I'm Jamar Hudson, and this is The Fatherhood.